What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Mia St. John, and you're listening to Fascination Street Podcast. I believe that everybody has a story, and I'm fascinated to hear them. So come with me as we take a walk down Fascination Street. Welcome back, Streetwalkers. This episode is with Kate Weiser. Kate Weiser is a business owner and chocolatier in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. In this episode, we talk about why she decided to go to culinary school, how she got from San Francisco to Dallas after culinary school, why she decided to get into the chocolate side of the industry, eventually partnering with one of the biggest names in that industry to start Kate Weiser Chocolate. Finally, we talk about her super successful Carl the Snowman product, where you can get them, and what inspired that product. This is my conversation with Dallas chocolatier and superstar Kate Weiser. Welcome to Fascination Street Podcast, Kate Weiser. How are you doing today, Kate? I'm doing great. How are you? I am wonderflonium. Thank you for asking. <laughs> now, a little bit of backstory. We have a mutual friend who put us together. Two-time guest of Fascination Street Podcast, Ashley Arpel Greenwald. How do you know Ashley? Ashley, she's my social media manager. Oh, she cool. has taken over all of my social media accounts and is she doing great? Because I might need somebody. Yeah. Oh, I'd highly recommend her. Yeah. She moved to Dallas recently. What? Yeah. She's in Dallas now. Whoa. I had no idea. Yeah. I think she's loving it. She's certainly doing a great job for me. So uh, yeah, we love having her on a team. Oh, that's fantastic. So <laughs> we'll get to what you do and what that team is in a few minutes. But first, where were you born and raised? Kate, where'd you grow up? So I was actually born in Grapevine, Texas, uh, sure, but I didn't, didn't, I didn't, you didn't go far. stay here long. Yeah. Well, I didn't stay here long. I think when I was a baby, my parents moved to Kansas city 
So I uh, was raised my whole childhood, adolescence in Kansas City, Kansas. Gross. And when did you leave Kansas City? (sighs) Well, I left for culinary school in 2005. I went to San Francisco, but I was there pretty much my whole life. And then I moved to Dallas in 2009. Gotcha. I don't know if it was there when you live there, but in Kansas city, I I visited there uh, once or twice. And my favorite thing as a tourist in that city, they have a thing called the Arabia. Do you know what that is? The Arabia. Mm -hmm. Where's it at? I don't even know where it's at, but I'll explain it right now. So (laughs) back in the olden days, there were like paddle boats that would go up and down rivers and they would be delivering things. Think of it as an old timey UPS, right? So they would deliver things and, you know, general stores were all up and down the rivers and whatnot. And so these paddle boats would drop off supplies. Let's just say Walmart, right? Somebody's got to bring all that stuff to Walmart so that you and I can go buy it, right? Well, there was this paddle boat called the Arabia that was completely full. It was like an entire Walmart from back in the 1800s. It was completely fully stocked. It hadn't, Uh I don't even think it had made one delivery yet. And it sank. The whole thing sank. Okay. And, And then because it happens, the river moved later. Like the river uh-huh. just moved. And so uh-huh. it ended up being in the middle of somebody's farmland. They were doing whatever farming and they were like, what is that noise? We just hit metal or what the heck, whatever, however it works. So they spent all these years and all these millions excavating this sunken paddle boat and it was completely full. And then they turned it into a museum. So they pulled up and cleaned up all this stuff. There's millions of buttons and locks and doorknobs and dishes and dresses and fabric. I mean, just axes and tools, just everything. And so there's a a museum called the Arabia. I spent probably five hours in there just in awe and and amazement at all this stuff. And they're not even done cleaning the stuff and and putting the things out. So if you're ever back there, you should definitely go check that out. It was so much fun. I loved it. so. Well, now that you're saying that, I feel like we took a field trip when I was in like elementary school or something or middle school, maybe to that. It sounds familiar. It sounds very familiar. Like the museum with the ship and that sure. sounds familiar. <laughs> That's how I feel about the Alamo. I'm like, I've heard of that. It's, <laughs> yeah. I think I saw it once. So why did you go to culinary school and which one? Did you go to CIA or what did you do? What's in San Francisco? It was California Culinary Academy. So it was a Le Cordon Bleu school. My son went to Le Cordon Bleu. Nice. Yeah. It was like downtown San Francisco. Yeah. They're, they're kind of everywhere. I think well, not um, anymore. some of them are closing down now. All yeah, of but... the ones in America are gone. Is my understanding. Are they really? My son, it was the year after he graduated the Cordon Bleu in Austin. They uh, either they left or they got kicked out of the country. I'm not really sure why. Oh, whatever. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, wow. Well, so what yeah. made you pick what made you pick culinary school? So I always loved baking and pastry. Uh, growing up, I would cook all the time on the weekends, just sweets. I was a big sweet tooth type of gal. And I just loved it. And it was just always so fun and such a fun passion and hobby. And then, you know, fast forward, I'm graduating high school, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And I decided to go to the University of Kansas, really just because I kind of thought the four-year college was the standard. It was what everybody did. That's what they drilled and into us. When we were it's in what they drilled into us. It's what my, where my friends were going. So I, I went to KU for one semester. And I remember after that semester was over, it was kind of like time to stop partying and start 
selecting a major. And I went down this whole list of majors. I literally looked at every single major you could have there and nothing really interests me. And that was kind of a pivotal moment. And I called my parents and I'm like, I don't know what I, I think I'm wasting your money here. Like there's nothing here that I really want to do. What about culinary school? And we talked about it for a long time and found one. I really wanted to go to the West Coast. I just wanted to live in California. So that's why I chose the one in San Francisco. Were your parents like, uh, by all means, stop wasting our money? <laughs> yes, they were. But, you know, they were also very hesitant because they were worried that some of these trade schools were kind of like a scam. So mm. we really did a lot of research. Of course, the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, that was like the place to go. But it was incredibly expensive. Still is. Still is. And it's a wonderful school. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people that have graduated from there and it definitely gives you a, a head start, I think. But it is really about what you do with your education and the type of personality that you have. And, and that, I think, is what can catapult you or can stop you on your career. But yeah, I loved culinary school. It was so fun. I learned new techniques, new skills every day. I mean, I was really jazzed every day that I was going there. Was it hard? Bread's class was really hard. I did not get bread. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It just didn't connect with me. It, you know, the whole gluten and the window pane and like all the details about bread. I just, I, yeah, I think that was the, the class where I got the worst grade. <laughs> nice. I just didn't really, yeah, I didn't really get it. And so I'm not good at baking bread. Don't ask me to bake you a loaf of bread. It will be a disaster probably. Done and done. I will not ask for that. <laughs> so I know that you specialized in the um, the patisserie side, the pastry side. Did you also go through the regular kitchen side? Not at all. It was only a 10-month program. So I studied basically six weeks of each aspect of desserts. So we had breads class, we had cakes class, we had plated desserts, buffet desserts. We had sugar sculpting class. That was really cool. We had a chocolate class. So yeah, all things pastry, nothing savory. Nice. Yeah. I <laughs> love that. Did not have to clean any fish. Well, that's good. I love <laughs> that, that that was even an option. I, you know, mm -hmm. I've read that some schools, they don't even allow you to take the pastry class until you've already completed the savory course. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely something that I researched before selecting the right school was just making sure that I was actually focusing on what I wanted to do. Is that one of the reasons you chose that school? Yeah, but I mean, I think a lot of Le Cordon Bleu's had a baking and pastry program, but maybe mm -hmm. not all of them around the U.S. Right. So, yeah, it definitely helped. Sure. And did you pick San Francisco for any particular reason? I mean, you you yourself said they were all over the place. Why You were like, San Francisco's dope. I'm going there. Honestly, that's that's really all it was. Like I was like, I really want to eat food in San Francisco. I want to, you know, be close to the ocean. I want to experience that city just because I'd never been there before. And it just always seemed like a really cool place to be. All right. Well, you're a chocolate person in San Francisco. How many times did you go to the Ghirardelli place? <laughs> I went a couple of times. I mean, it's a fun museum. It's really cool to walk through. Mm -hmm. It's expensive as shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But um, I mean, I was really busy when I lived in San Francisco. I was, you know, I would go to class at night. It was like eight hours of school. And then during the day, I was a waitress kind of helping myself pay for things. So I was pretty busy. I, and one of the, my biggest regrets is I didn't wait really a minute. Have a hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt you a lot. So after one semester of wasting your parents' money, you said, hey, I'm wasting your money. And then you're like, I'm going to go to culinary school. And they were like, well, fuck you. You're paying for it then. Like, how did that work? Uh, no, you had to pay no. for it? You just said you were supporting yourself. No. 
No, I wasn't supporting myself. I was just, uh, you know, I wanted like fun money. So oh, I, and I okay, love working. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, so your, your no, parents my, did help with that, right? Yeah. I mean, they got student loans and everything and, and I got some student loans. So yeah, I mean, we, we made it work for sure, but I, I loved working in the front of house of a restaurant. That was really a fun experience. So it was really just something for me to do and get to know other people. And I think everybody should work in the service industry if they can. I agree. At some point in their life. In some capacity, whether it's in the front mm-hmm. or the back or like whatever, I agree wholeheartedly. I was in restaurants for a long time, and that's why my son went to culinary school. Oh, um, cool. So you graduate culinary school, specifically the pastry patisserie course. So I know that you went there because that was your passion. You sort of looked around and said, what am I passionate about? It's none of this weird shit they're teaching at KU. So <laughs> what did you want to be? Like when you decided you were going to go to culinary school, what was your after school plan? If that makes sense. What were you going to do? Absolutely. You graduated? My after school plan was to work in restaurants. I wanted to be a pastry chef at restaurants. I wanted to just get better and better and improve my techniques. Eventually, I wanted to get to New York and work in like a fine dining restaurant in New York City. That was my dream goal at the time. So, you know, the plated desserts class was something that I really connected with because that was what I knew I wanted to focus on. And again, I loved working in restaurants. I loved working on the line. So that was the plan was get out of culinary school and start working in restaurants. And how did that manifest itself? Like when you graduated, did you do those things? Did you, and, and did you stay in San Francisco? No, and that was a huge regret. So I was 19 when I was in culinary school. I was very homesick and I was very trepidatious during that time. I wasn't really as risky and a risk, risk taker as I am now. And I do regret uh, not staying in San Francisco longer and exploring that culinary scene. I mean, of course, I love where my life ended up. I love what I'm doing now, but who knows what journey I would have taken if I would have stayed there. So I ended up coming back home. To Kansas? Yeah, I I came back home to Kansas City. And I worked in some really fun restaurants while I was back at home, just kind of understanding how that job really worked, you know, kind of getting my feet wet. And then I got the opportunity to work at Blue Stem, which is a really incredible restaurant on the Missouri side, Kansas City, Missouri, because they're really close together. And that was a very transformative opportunity for me because it was super fine dining, tasting menus, like the bougiest of the bougie. And I learned so much there. And that was a really amazing experience. How long were you there? I was there for about a year before I moved to Dallas. And why'd you move to Dallas? Wait, let me guess. Did you chase a boy to Dallas? I did. <laughs> I did. But I'm so glad that I did. You just got to go for it. You know, whatever opportunity it is, just go for it. I say yes to a lot of things and it's led me down a lot of great paths and I've, I have no regrets there. Somebody awesome once said about their experiences in, in life and the path that it takes. And he said, I'm a leaf on the wind. And I love that because, well, that exactly explains how you got to where you are and the things that happened as a result of you going in the direction of life as it takes you. Are you still with that boy? No. I knew (laughs) it. I knew it. But at least he served his purpose. He got you to where you're supposed to be. That's awesome. No, yes, of course. And, you know, I'm always grateful for 
everyone that's come into my life and whether they're still there or have gone, you know, again, everyone changes you. Everyone makes you the person that you become. And that leaf in the wind thing, that's me to a T, you know, I just kind of follow where the path takes me. I've always been very open to opportunity. And I think that's been a big part of why I got where I am. So Sure. Well, let's talk about where you are. What happened when you got to (laughs) Dallas? What did you do when you got to Dallas? Did you go work for another fine dining place? Did you work at the Reunion Plaza restaurant? What'd you do? (laughs) So it was 2009 when I moved to Dallas and that was a really tough time because restaurants were cutting pastry chefs positions. They were giving them to line cooks, you know, restaurants were really struggling during that time. So for me, I had a couple of months where I was just kind of floating around trying to find a permanent gig. I ended up taking a lot of part-time jobs just to pay the bills and, and make rent. I was bouncing around from a lot of things. I worked at Stephen Piles. I was the like AM bread baker. And you know how much I hate bread. <laughs> I wow. was making desserts too, but there was some bread involved. And I just remember being like, Oh God, I'm just so bad at this. This is just such a bad idea for me. But it was, you know, again, it was a Dallas staple restaurant, a very critically acclaimed restaurant. So I was glad to be there. Hey, Streetwalkers. Here's a word from our sponsors. 18 or 80, crippled, blind or crazy. I'm going dancing tonight. It don't matter which one it gets a hold of me or I get a hold of them, you know. That's Hoot Gibson. I met him at Arky Blue's Silver Dollar in Bandera, Texas. He's just one of many characters you'll hear from in Vanishing Postcards, a podcast where we explore the hidden dives, traditions, and frequently threatened histories discovered by exiting the highways. We don't give a flying flip for <sighs> most of your regular bar types. Featuring dispatches from the back roads, Vanishing Postcards is a touching, frequently humorous experience Perfect for when you need a breather, but don't have the time or luxury of jumping in the car. I'm Evan Stern, and I invite you to join this ride by finding Vanishing Postcards wherever you get your podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. I worked as a cheesemonger. I sold cheese. Really? Yes. Which was, re- I mean, really opened up a whole new world. Cheese is like this all encompassing. I mean, there's so much to learn about cheese. So even though I was just selling cheese at a cheese shop, I was still learning so much about this piece of culinary <laughs> thing that I'd never known before. So I, I learned a lot from that job. 
Now I know that in in some a lot of cities there's an this is going to sound ridiculous but I know that in some cities there's an underground cheese monger society cuz you know cheese has to go through a lot of regulatory adherence or whatever mm-hmm. before it can mm-hmm. you know, be on a shelf or something and so there's a bunch of sort of underground cheese clubs all over the country they sell cheese that hasn't been through the regulatory yeah. process Yeah oh how cool how so cool I was wondering are there underground cheese clubs <laughs> in Dallas? Man, now that I know that that's a thing, I am going to seek that out because you're right. Like there was a lot of rules and regulations. And when you go to France, you could just all the cheese is at room temperature and it's all, you know, delicious and amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm definitely going to look into that. I don't know of any myself <laughs> right now, but I'm definitely going to look into that. Look into that for sure. But don't get busted when they get raided because that would be super embarrassing. <laughs> hey, what are you in for? Well, I was at an underground. Camembert. <laughs> yeah, right. What are you in for? Cam- little little light camembert. Cam- like what? <laughs> what are you, are you in for breaking in and entering? Or, no, yeah. it was, was camembert. It was an illegal camembert. Like what? <laughs> so... How long did you bounce around in all these different restaurants and cheesemongering before you decided to do what we're about to talk about? So one of the many jobs was also a little chocolate shop here in Dallas. So I was going to work at a chocolate shop. I was working at a cheese shop. I was working at Stephen Piles. And I think slowly over a year, I started kind of saying goodbye to other jobs and just really focusing on that chocolate shop. So at this time, you were working multiple jobs? Yes, I had a calendar just to keep track of where... How how many jobs did you have all at the same time? I know I definitely had three, for sure. And there may have been... Why? Um, Because I could only find part-time jobs. So, like, one job only wanted me on the weekends. One job only, you know, had availability in the mornings. So, yeah, I mean, I just... I love working. I... Especially when I was younger. I mean, I, God, I just loved it. I loved being busy. I loved every day having something to do, working hard, working on your feet. That was just my vibe. I loved it. <laughs> gotcha. So you started going, I'm assuming, in the direction of that chocolate place you were working at, right? Yep. Is that, yep. Is that a place that we don't name or is it okay if we name them? Oh, no, we can talk about it. Yeah, it's it's still around. It's still, you know, a Dallas staple. It's It's called Chocolate Secrets. Are we supposed to tell everybody if it's a secret? <laughs> Chocolate secrets. Yeah, it's not a secret. Everybody knows about it here in Dallas. It's a great shop. How long were you working at this chocolate secret? I ended up working there for a little over four years. Oh, okay. um, once I decided to quit everything else I was doing and focus 100% on the chocolate, that's really when the passion and the fire was lit on this whole chocolate thing because in culinary school we had a chocolate class but I did not connect with it nearly as much as I started to when I actually started working with it every day it was so challenging it was so hard I had no idea what I was doing I mean I only had six weeks of training with chocolate which is like it's basically nothing in the world of chocolate it's so complicated And it just kicked my butt every day. And that really excited me and got me just full of energy to learn and um, yeah, problem solve. It was every day. It was problem solving. Interesting. So when you decided to hang out your own shingle and uh, ladies and gentlemen, street workers, if you will, we were talking about Kate Weiser chocolate. How many locations do you have right now? 
Right now I have three brick and mortars in the DFW area. So I'm kind of spread out. I've got one downtown Dallas, one at North Park Mall, which is like a really big mall here in Dallas. And then one out in Fort Worth, which is about 45 minutes away. Okay. And when you say right now, you said right now I have three. Does that mean that there's more on the horizon? Oh, for sure. For sure. Check out (laughs) this chocolate powerhouse. Absolutely. Yeah, no. I mean, I don't know if I'll open any more in Dallas. You know, I don't want to be too much focused on one area, but I'd love to go to Houston, love to go to Austin. And then who knows, you know? No, I'll tell you where it's at. Okay, Um, tell me where it's at. All right, I'll tell you where it's at. (laughs) So there's a woman... I don't, you might not know her name. She's pretty obscure. Her name is Oprah Winfrey. Have you heard of this? Uh, yeah, person? me and Oprah. We go way back, man. I was on her <laughs> favorites list. Were you? Yeah, in 2018. Well, get the F out of here because in 2021, <laughs> yeah. she had a favorites list. And that list was the best small town main streets to visit in America. It's a very, okay. it's a huge mouthful, but number one on that list. And the only city in Texas to make that list was Bernie. Bernie, Bernie, B- Texas. B-O-E-R-N-E, Texas, Bernie, Texas, which is where I am talking to you from. Oh, wow. Our main street downtown was on Ober's. I think it might've even been the number one small town main street to visit. That um, is so cool. And How I far mean, away is that from Dallas? Five and a half hours. Five and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're about an hour and a half from Austin or whatever. Um, okay. I mean, this is a happening little place. We even have brick and mortar Black Rifle Coffee Company here. Oh, cool. Like, like an actual coffee shop from them. Like, I didn't even know they did that, but they got one here. And <laughs> true to the name, it's joined to a gun store. You can just walk right on through. <laughs> You can order your coffee, and while they're making your coffee, you can go buy a gun and then come back when your coffee's ready. Welcome to that's Texas, awesome. everybody. Welcome to Texas. Yeehaw. That's yeah, awesome. So, so Main Street and Bernie, is uh, that's the place to be. That's where you want to be. That, that'll be location okay. number. It won't be no location number four, but it'll be location number seven. Okay. Number seven. All okay. Right. Lucky I like seven. the way you think. I like the way you think. Yes. That is high roll. So, Kate Weiser <laughs> Chocolate, what made you decide to start your own chocolate? Like, what made you decide to... Take that huge risk and I'm assuming borrow a lot of other people's money and mm-hmm. open your own thing. What made you do that? Yeah. So I think what actually made me physically take the leap was again that sort of being open to opportunity mentality that I've always had. And the idea of living with regret where I didn't take that opportunity because it really was a unique opportunity. It's not like I came up with a business model and pitched it to a bunch of different people and tried and tried. You know, it was a real opportunity that kind of fell in my lap. Trinity Groves Restaurant Incubator Group put an ad out online saying, if you have a concept, we'll take a meeting and we will, if we like your concept, we will invest in you. And it was kind of like Shark Tank. So all I did was I sent an email having not really developed a whole plan yet, I just knew someday I wanted to own a a chocolate company. And they accepted my email and they said, okay, come and meet with us. And I was like, well, crap, now I got to really think about what it is that I want to do. Like this could be a really cool opportunity. So I just kind of went for it. But I took a meeting, not thinking anything was going to come of it. Just thought, hey, this is good practice to pitch an idea and let's just go in there and see what happens. And 
you know, nothing will come of it. I really, really thought that nothing would come of it, but I, I knew I was on the track to start becoming an entrepreneur. I knew that that was ahead of me. I just didn't know when. So I took that meeting and Phil Romano was there. He was the main uh, investor. Of Phil Grills. Romano of the Macaroni Grill? Yes. Same, wow. the one and only. Yes, that's right. He was there. Uh, Stuart Fitz, his business partner was there and a bunch of other people. I mean, just tons of people. The whole Trinity Groves incubator group was there. And I made some chocolates at my house of the style that I knew I wanted to do. I had a vision board. I had ideas of what the concept would be like. I knew what kind of equipment I would need, kind of the startup capital I would need. And I just did a little song and dance for about 30 minutes. So did you have a rough idea of a budget of what you would need to get? No, I had no idea what I was You're like, I know the equipment I need. I just have no idea what that shit's going to (laughs) cost. I don't know what it's going to cost. I don't know where we're going to put it. I don't know how much square foot I need. I had no idea. I mean, I was just like, Phil Romano probably has a warehouse. Chocolate box. (laughs) Phil Romano probably (laughs) has a warehouse with a bunch of extra shit in it anyway. (laughs) Exactly. And that was the whole concept behind Trinity Girls is like, they were putting out there, Hey, we don't care if you don't know what you're doing. We know what we're doing. So we're going to be your mentors. We're going to be your partners. It's not just angel investment money. It's we will be involved. And that's what I wanted too, because I was 27 at the time. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Again, I didn't go to college. I didn't go to business school. I went to culinary school. So (laughs) Phil ate the entire box of chocolates in the meeting. I think he shared a little bit, but I'm pretty sure he ate the whole thing by himself. (laughs) And then he just kind of gave the nod and that was it. They At the end of the meeting, they were like, yeah, come on board. We'll give you $500,000 to start your first brick and mortar here in Trinity Groves. And at that time, it was not going to be this like huge business. It was one brick and mortar, $500,000. And I left that meeting just with just, I just remember sitting in my car and just like with the hands on the steering wheel, just not moving. So it was in the meeting? <laughs> like this wasn't like two yeah. weeks later, you got a phone call? This yeah. was. Like 30 minutes later, I mean, they're like, okay, here's half a million dollars. Literally, well, it was obviously at that point, we would then have to go through attorneys and of do course, the paperwork. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it was in that meeting that they were like, yeah, this sounds great. Awesome. We love this concept. Totally nuts. So in the in the film and television industry, we would say you booked in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Well done. You must, yeah. be a, you must be a heck of a pitch lady. Honestly, I think Phil just loved my passion. I think he, he just loved, big ass box of he just loved my excitement. Yeah. Cause you know, I think when they were picking people, they were really picking people. They weren't necessarily picking concepts. They were saying this person has the energy, has the drive. Yes. Let's go with that. Like I said, I worked in a lot of restaurants and there is sort of a, I guess, I don't know if you would call it a hidden secret or maybe it's an up and coming motto, but I've talked to a lot of GMs and and CEOs of specifically restaurant companies who would say, I prefer people with no experience, right? I hire based on attitude and personality and I can teach the rest. That's exactly my whole process of hiring for my company, 100%. Yeah, because if you hire somebody who's not an asshole or not a grumpy person by nature... Well, then you can teach them any skill, but the most yeah. important skill is to be good natured and be a nice person and want hundred percent at least act like you want to be where you are at any given time. My mentor used to always tell me you can't teach happy. 
<laughs> well, there you go. You, you can't teach happy. You can teach everything else, but you can't I teach happy. That. So yeah. yeah, that's the that's the flip side to that big hit in the sixties. Uh, you can't fix stupid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So Kate Weiser chocolate. You had three locations. They're all over the place. Do you still have that one in whatever Grove? Trinity, Trinity Grove. Grove. Yes. Uh huh. Yep. That's our original. That's where we are making the chocolate currently. So there's like an open kitchen concept. Oh, cool. So when you walk in, you can see the chocolate being made. Well, that's good because there's a real beauty to the art of chocolate making. Absolutely. And it's, it's also storytelling, you know, so it's, it really helps, I think, get the customers to connect with just how difficult and how long and tedious this process is and makes them appreciate the product. So yeah, that's pretty important. So are Phil and the the rest of the group still involved? Yes, they are still involved. Boy, are they happy Uh, that they they said yes to you. (laughs) Yeah. And they've been phenomenal partners. I mean, I know that the incubator project didn't work out for everybody that, that signed up. It was a real great. It's not great... supposed to by the nature yeah, of the whole idea. Yeah, it doesn't work for everybody. Idea. Right. Yeah, but it, oh God, it worked for me so well. Any project I've wanted to take on, you know, I drive the company forward. I choose the different things that we're going to do or focus on. And then really, if it involves money, I go to them and say, hey, <laughs> here's what I think we should do next. Here's why we should do it. Here's how much it's going to cost. And here's what I think the ROI is going to be. And then we all talk about it and they decide, yeah, let's, let's go for it. And honestly, I've never had a moment yet where they've both said, no, I don't think this is a good idea because they're restaurant guys and I'm a chocolate gal. So they really do lean on me for how the company should, should operate. Cause sure. chocolate is totally different. Like retail is totally different from restaurants. Sure. So when you go into those meetings, you know, to say, hey, this is what it's going to cost or this is what I want to do. Do you bring a big box of chocolates for Phil? (laughs) He can come in and eat chocolate any day of the week. (laughs) He sure can. I might wait till they're in a good mood for sure. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Put them in a good mood. Hey, guess what? We just blew the doors off of last week's numbers. Also, I'm getting some money. (laughs) Also, can I get another 200 grand? There you go. Yeah. So what is the chef's warehouse and why do I care? Oh, the chef's warehouse. That is one of my vendors. That's who I get my sugar from. (laughs) I don't know why you care though. Why do you care? Well, I I care because you were recently featured on the chef's warehouse. Oh yeah. Um, on their, on their, uh, Insta, they did actually a really nice video. Um, they came in and like did really beautiful photography and videography. Um, but yeah, they're, they're one of my vendors and I buy my chocolate from them. I buy my, um, they're like a distributor basically. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with El Ray chocolate? Oh yes, I am. For well, they're sure. not far from here either. They're about I know. between, well, yeah, they're in like Fredericksburg or something somewhere around there. We go there all the time. They have a tasting room and they do a tour and they explain everything and you're taking all these little bites and it's all free. It's super cool. Everybody should go there. L Ray. <laughs> That's chocolate. awesome. It's super L-ray, dope. Yeah. And they all run great, into you there. Uh, I doubt it. They make great chocolate. They really do. They do make great chocolate. Hey, Streetwalkers, here's a word from our sponsors. Texas has a reputation for being tough on crime, but beneath the surface, buried in the darkness that only those affected by tragedy know, is the reality of a flawed and insufficient justice system. More than 60% of violent crimes in Texas go unsolved. 
and many are at the hands of offenders who should have never had the opportunity, madmen who slipped through the cracks. On Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime, you'll find in-depth accounts of unsolved homicides, missing persons cases, and other mysteries throughout Texas. From the historic and perplexing case of the 1948 disappearance of a Denton co-ed, Virginia Carpenter, to the unthinkable, the Orange, Texas abduction and murder of four-year-old Denaria Finley in 2002, you can find and subscribe to Gone Cold, Texas True Crime, wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. What is your favorite thing on your menu? Oh, does your menu change all the time? Or do you have set favorites that you make? So our collection right now are of the bonbons of the, like the hand painted, pretty bonbons. We've got maybe 29, 30 flavors at a time. And we rotate maybe three or four new ones in just as they kind of run out. So we're always able to make new flavors and be creative. And it's really fun for my chefs that work in the kitchen to be able to create new flavors. So we do have some rotating new ones that come in and out. And then we have our standard, I think it's like our standard 26 flavors, 25 flavors. Spoken like a woman who knows her business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 20, some, 20, I don't know. We have a lot. Honestly, after like 20, you kind of lose count of how many yeah. different flavors you're making. <laughs> What's your biggest seller? The bonbons definitely are the biggest sellers. That's our bread and butter. And then Ooh, yeah, have... bread and butter bonbons. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um. so yeah, the bonbons, we sell them probably like 85% of our businesses, the bonbons. And wow. then we sell molded figures as well. So we, Oh, have, like um... you could make a molded microphone. Yeah, I could. I definitely could. So you, you sell put a it in of... the background of your podcast. If I did that. <laughs> I'd be eating it like an asshole. Of course I would. It'd be right there, front and center. Cool. So this is going to sound super disrespectful, and I don't mean it to. So people, because they're listening, and they're like, what is she talking about, a molded figure? Think yeah. all of those hollow Easter bunnies that you got when you were a kid. That's a molded figure. Yes, right? yes. Like so, the bunnies, the Christmas trees, the, the snowmen. Santa Clauses and things. Santa Clauses, all so that stuff. Do you do all that? Like, Do you do seasonal molded figures like that? Or like, yep. do you do Easter yep. bunnies? Yes, we do oh, Easter well, bunnies, Easter eggs. <laughs> no, I think I think most chocolatiers do like Easter. Easter is one of our bigger holidays. I would imagine uh, for sales. So you know, a lot of us do like eggs and bunnies, and the whole goal is to be a little bit more and more creative each year. Come up with something new. 
a lot of our molded figures are more like sculptures. So they're like different shapes put together in order to look like a bunny, um, which makes them more fragile. We usually don't ship those across the country, but makes them really cool and unique and gives, you know, our own twist to molded figures. So you do a lot of shipping? We do a ton of shipping. Our e-com is, I mean, especially last year during COVID when my stores shut down, that was pretty much all we were focusing on. So yeah, the e-commerce side of business has really grown a ton and we we ship nationwide all year round, even in Dallas. Gross. So you have three brick and mortars and a massive online e-commerce business. Massive online e-commerce business and a massive wholesale business too. So we sell to Neiman Marcus. We sell to Central Market. Do you sell to all of the Neiman Marcuses? Like if I walk into any Neiman Marcus, that's going to be your chocolate? If you walk into any Neiman Marcus during Halloween or Christmas, you will see my stuff on there. Well, then I have bought your stuff. Oh, cool. My year round products are not quite, they don't have quite long shelf life to be on their store shelves. So they just focus on the holidays for us. Makes sense. They've been just a massive partner to us and they've been incredible. And we've worked with them now for, I think it's our fifth holiday season, fourth holiday season. So yeah, it's been great. And you recently celebrated your seventh anniversary, right? I know. I can't believe it. Like, why can't you believe it? You're a badass. It feels like it's been one year and it also feels like it's been 20 years. Like it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's just shocking how time has flown by and how much we've learned. Restaurant years are like dog years. Yeah. Yeah. They really are. They really are. (laughs) Like, you see all this? It's because I'm, the reason I'm bald (laughs) is because I worked in restaurants for so long. Very stressful. How many employees do you have across all four uh, platforms? I think I, I hit 40 across all platforms, revenue streams. But that number goes up during the high season and it kind of goes down a little bit during the low season. So I think we hover around 30 to 35 employees year round. And how hands-on are you? Like at the end of the day, do you go home and have to take a shower to get all the chocolate off of you? Or do (laughs) do you get paper cuts all day? The chocolate less and less as time goes on. You know, I'm more in the planning process obviously the decision-making and just really just making sure everyone has what they need to do their job. That is my job to make sure everybody's got what they need so that they can be successful within the company. So yeah, I'm not physically making a lot of chocolate. Now I do all of the recipe testing for new products. So I'm probably in the kitchen maybe three or four or five times a year at this point, just testing the new seasonal products, which is gotcha. the really fun part. So I, yeah, get to, I, I still get, to, I still get to do the really fun part. <laughs> That's cool. So you do a lot of wholesale and, and you do some partner stuff. Let's just take this for an example. Let's just say you and I are going to partner or I'm going to commission you or however that works that I'm going to have you make, let's just say fascination street chocolate bar. All right. Mm-hmm. It's going to, it's going it's to be a square bar. How would together we come up with, I mean, obviously you already know what it's going to look like, but how would we come up with my own unique flavor profile for that bar? Does that make sense? Oh, cool. Yeah, for sure. We don't get a lot of inquiries about people wanting to create their own flavor of chocolate. You know, we don't make chocolate from the bean. Sure. We buy the chocolate, we melt it down, but we do get a lot of inquiries about what exactly what you're talking about. Like we can put your logo on a bar. It can be like, three-dimensional on a bar. We could Uh actually print it 
we could print it almost like a t-shirt silk screen and put that on a bar. So there's color involved as well. It is quite a process and we do that custom work all the time. We have a, an amazing woman who manages that whole section of the business. So it's, it's quite a lengthy process. You know, it could take like three or four weeks to, to get exactly what you are wanting, but it's really cool. It's again, it's another way that we get to have a lot of fun in the kitchen, creating new stuff. So I know that you don't like you don't make chocolate, but I know that you you flavor chocolate and you put things in there like your bonbons aren't all like mm-hmm. all 27 of them are not the same flavor. And I right. would imagine that, you know, if somebody says, oh, well, I like orange. So can you throw a hint of orange in my chocolate bar that that's something yeah. that you would do, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that would be part of the going back and forth, building the final product or whatever. Yep. And, and then we could do like tastings and you could be like, ah, I want a little bit more orange or a little less orange. And we kind of go back and forth there. Yeah. Got a little more bourbon. I got you. So, <laughs> and then I guess you have a relationship with maybe a printer, like you would print sleeves for these candy bars or whatever, right? Yeah. I actually have several relationships with several printers and packaging manufacturers. We've moved a lot domestically in the past couple of years, but I still have some manufacturers overseas. So there's a ton of options there. You know, different packagers really specialize in different aspects of um, the packaging. And uh, yeah, packaging is one of my favorite things to do with the business because I just, I'm such a visual person. I love graphics, graphic design. I'm not good at it. I obviously like hire the people who are, (laughs) but it's it's definitely a fun piece because you, you really, you know, you, you eat with your eyes first and it has to be presented in a beautiful package and because that's kind of the the level of the chocolate, right? The packaging has to match the chocolate. I knew that about you because of what you were drawn to the most in culinary school was the dessert plating kind of aspect yeah. of the thing. So I knew you were a visual person. The beauty of it, the artistry of it. Absolutely. Yep. Nice. And if somebody did want something unique like that, or, you know, because there's a lot of people who have, let's just say, let's just go with podcasting. There's a lot of people who have a Patreon, right? And so their listeners, they'll get different level gifts based on, you know, what, what they've signed up for with Patreon or whatever. And so let's just say, Oh, every quarter I, I send my people a candy bar with my, whatever, whatever it is. So yeah. if somebody was looking for something like that, how would they go about getting a hold of you to, you know, discuss things of that nature? Yeah. I mean, on our website, we have, uh, you know, which is katewiserchocolate.com. We have like a contact us inquiry form. That's just the best way that'll get you straight to the right person that can start that process for you. I mean, it's something, again, it's something we do all the time and we love doing it, uh, all the custom work. The, the issue is there's just so many options because literally if you're creating something custom, you have control over the flavor, the design, the packaging. So, you know, depending on budget, we can give you a bunch of those options up front, or we can just work together to create your perfect project. Nice. I love that. Now, earlier we talked about a mutual friend, Ashley Arpel Greenwald, and the things that she's doing (laughs) for you on social media. Where might people find you on social media? Unfortunately, last year before Ashley came on board, my Instagram account got hacked. So I actually lost my entire Instagram account. So you can't find me the old way, but the new Instagram handle is at official KW chocolate. That's why I brought her on board was to rebuild that sort of social media presence that we had lost. And you're doing a great job. 
That sucks oh, that you got oh, hacked man. and lost your whole thing, man. That's terrible. I know. And it happened, actually it happened a year ago, last September. So it was right before Christmas. And oh, a lot awesome. of my, a lot of my customers, you know, they, that's how they see the new products that we have coming out. That's how they connect with me on a, you know, like personal level. So it was a real bummer. And I, I think also that's how a lot of magazine editors find cool chocolate companies to write about or like how you get on lists, you know, because right. we had a pretty, we had a pretty solid following and very active. Like my audience was very into what we were doing and it was a real bummer, but I, I never would want to be an influencer or anything like that. So at the same time, I was like, well, it's just Instagram, you know, it's like in the grand scheme of is this devastating for my company? Probably not. So, you know, we kind of kept perspective on that and just kept moving forward. So when you took a giant box of chocolates in and told Phil that your Instagram got hacked, was he like, the fuck is Instagram? Like, I don't, what is that? Yeah, I don't even think he was aware that that happened. He was but, like, you have an Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's Instagram? But no, I, you know, I have a public relations gal that helped me and worked with me and, um, yeah, we, we just ended up deciding to start from scratch as opposed to trying to get the old account back, which they held for ransom. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to give you Stupid. my bank account information either. Like, that's dumb. So we just yeah, decided to start from scratch. Way to have my back, Instagram. Yeah, they were zero help, by the way. I mean, I, I'm not, a, I wasn't like a big person on Instagram. I think if, if I was Kim Kardashian, it'd be a different story, but couldn't get a response. It Love was, it. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So besides Instagram, are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? Where can people find yep. you elsewhere? Facebook, which did not get hacked. <laughs> Facebook is still good. Kate Weiser Chocolate on Facebook. And we started, we just started doing Pinterest as well, which is really fun. I just cannot figure out how to make that work for me. I just can't. I don't, <laughs> I I think don't I'm really too old. either. I, I but that's what like Ashley's for, I'm right? I'm too old. Exactly. Exactly. The thing is to hire people who know that what have they're doing. strengths that are your weaknesses. That's the trick. Just like Phil did. He don't know shit yeah. about chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kate, as we're heading out, is there anything that we didn't talk about or I didn't ask you about that you specifically wanted to talk about today? Like, did I miss anything? I feel like we should probably talk a little bit about Carl the Snowman because of how influential that one product has been for my company. Well, um, let me interrupt you. Yeah. What is Carl the who's Snowman? Who's Carl? Who's Carl? Who's Carl? Asked. She said. And so oh, glad you who's, asked, Steve. Who's Carl? Let me tell you. <laughs> so Carl the Snowman is a like an eight-inch tall snowman. He's entirely made out of dark chocolate. And in his belly is hot cocoa mix and miniature marshmallows. Is he a 2D or a 3D snowman? He's a 3D. He's a 3D. So it's like this little figure, kind of like we were talking about. And you take him home and you open up the package and you gather your friends and you gather your kids and your grandkids and your family. And you put a pot of milk on the stove. It makes about five to eight cups of milk. And you put your little snowman in the milk. And you heat up the stove and you watch your snowman melt and he melts and dissolves into hot cocoa. Does he scream like when you put a lobster in boiling water? I think he does. In my head, he does. <laughs> Whose idea was that? So that was my idea. So it was, it was the very first holiday season. So this was 2014. I created this little snowman. I went out to the lobby area of my shop and I asked a customer, what do you think of this little snowman? And she said, oh, he's so cute, but I'd hate to kill him. 
And that was like, yes, let's kill him. Like instantly I was like, yeah, you already love this little snowman. You already feel so sorry for the snowman that you have to kill him. And then I just started thinking, how do you kill a snowman? You melt them. How can I make my customers melt their snowman? Let's put instructions on the back. Let's make them into hot cocoa. And when we did that the very first year, I mean, making these things is so tedious. It got on the Dallas Morning News feature page of the food and wine section. So we instantly sold out. And that product, since the first year of business, has snowballed, pun intended, right? Has <laughs> completely snowballed. And Carl, the snowman, just that one product is now responsible for 35% of my annual income. Like it is a massive, massive product for me. That is what got on Oprah's favorite things list in 2018. That's why my whole partnership with Neiman Marcus started because they fell in love with the snowman. So Carl is probably a huge reason why we've grown this company the way we have. So this is the house that Carl built. It really is. It really is. So when does Carl go on sale annually? So actually today he went on sale on our website for pre-order because, you know, we still run out every season. So we try to get people to reserve their snowman now, and then he'll officially go out the door and he'll be on shelves November 1st. Okay. Here's why I'm asking. There's only one good time of year to murder a snowman. Yeah. And that's, and that's on Halloween. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually agree. That's a great time. So to I'm going to say you need to bump that up a day. <laughs> yeah, you need to bring your delivery day back at like like a week. That's you a good to, point. You need to move it up a week so we can all gather around and and murder snowman. <laughs> That's on a great point. Maybe we can put a little red food coloring in the milk just for a little extra gore. Yep. Sure. Now, Ashley, I know you're <laughs> listening. Um, I'm going to be disappointed when I get off this call if I look on social media and i can't find carl the snowman's own social media page he has one. Oh, does he yes oh where carl can people the snowman at, at carl, carl the snowman, snowman. that's his All instagram right. page and don't judge it too harshly because i used to man that myself Ooh. so it's just really it's all over the place from the past but ashley is here to help me <laughs> bring it back to life here she comes to save the day. <laughs> yes. All right. Fantastic. Kate Weiser of Kate Weiser Chocolate in Dallas. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day on your chocolate covered schedule to hang out and let us get to know you a little <laughs> bit better on Fascination Street. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was so much fun. The pleasure was all mine. And you have a great rest of your week. You too. And I'll send you a Carl. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank <laughs> you. And when the next time I'm in Dallas, I'll see if I can't track you down. Perfect. All right. Well, I'll see you soon. Thank you, Kate. Bye. Bye-bye. Opening music is the song Magnolia from the 2001 album Intransigence, used with permission from Douglas Miles Clark. Closing music is from the song Say My Name off the 2021 album Underdog Anthems used with permission from Jax Hollow. If you like the show, tell a friend. Subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes and wherever else you download podcasts. 
don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. All the episodes are available there as well. Check me out on Vero at Fascination Street Pod and TikTok at Fascination Street Pod. And again, thanks for listening. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to Golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to Golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's Golo.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com.